0: Really good to be with you uh, again today, and uh, see what you've done to this space. It looks awesome. I love all about it. Love the floor. Love the wall out in the back. It's so open, and uh, it's awesome. It's awesome. Um, I love and appreciate uh, Ben and Rose, and am very thankful for them. And uh, I think he's going to be back in about a week. Is that right? So I'm sure everybody's anxious for him to get back. Uh, has anybody told you guys that you're awesome because uh, pulling off what you've done without your pastor here for, it's been five weeks, I think, so far, uh, and things are going along great? You guys really are. You have a lot to be proud of. I'm thankful. I'm I'm proud of uh, this church. I'm proud of what the Lord has done here. Um, I'm proud of you guys. I want today to talk with you about, uh, we're going we're to look at Colossians chapter 2, so you can go ahead and turn your Bible there. You know what Todd was just talking about, about us just taking another step, us just moving a little closer to becoming who God wants us to be. At the end of the book of Genesis, you don't need to turn there, but you can look later if you'd like, the end of the book of Genesis chapter 49, we read about Jacob And Jacob, whose name has been changed from Jacob to Israel by God, Jacob was the father of 12 sons who became the 12 tribes of Israel. And at the end of the book of Genesis, Jacob is calling his sons to him, and he's going to give a last kind of word to them. He's going to say to them, here's what's going to happen in your life. Uh, It it says this, it says, gather yourselves, just as Jacob to his sons, gather yourselves together that I may tell you what shall happen to you in the days to come. And then he goes through this list of all his sons. He says to Reuben, the oldest, he said, you can't be preeminent. You can't be in first place because, he says, you are as unstable as water. You're not trustworthy. He says to his sons, Simeon and Levi, you're controlled by your anger. You've killed men and hamstrung oxen. And your behavior in the past is indicating that you can't be trusted in the future. This kind of thinking is saying what you've done in the past is the best indicator of what you will do in the future. And I think generally that's true. What you've done in the past is a good indicator of what you will do in the future. Another way to say this might be what we do both reflects who we are and impacts who we will become. What we do, the actions we take, both reflects who we are and impacts who who we're going to become. Um, As I thought about that, I asked myself this question. Can we really become different? Can we change? If you're someone who has never been a follower of Jesus, Can you really change and become a devoted follower of Christ? If you're someone who's maybe controlled by addiction, is change possible? Is it possible, you wonder, for me to overcome this addiction? Even for those who are believers, we struggle sometimes in wondering, can I really change? Can I really grow toward maturity? Can there be real change in my life? The book of Colossians is an epistle, a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church at Colossae. It's a church he's never visited. He didn't start the church at Colossae. And he's writing to them for a purpose. The purpose is found in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28. There he says, Colossians 1:28, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So one of the tools that will help you as you study your Bible is trying to understand what is this book of the Bible about, because if you read it in that context, it'll make more sense to you. What is the book of Colossians about? The book of Colossians, I believe, is about this. It's about Paul writing to the church at Colossae to say, I want to present everyone mature in Christ. Paul is warning the church at Colossae to grow up in their faith. So our text today is Colossians chapter 2. Verses 6 through 15. As we read this text, I want you to pay special attention to a couple of words. Notice how many times in this text the phrase, "...in him," appears. That's not random. God doesn't throw away words. It's on purpose. So notice what it says. Colossians chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 6. I'll read through verse 15. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord... In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses in the uncircumcision of flesh, God made alive with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. As we look at this text today, we think about this phrase, in him. What is he saying to us? He says in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You can't walk in Jesus until you receive Jesus. You can't mature in your faith until you're born into this faith. You must experience birth before you can experience maturity. We all know that in the physical realm. The same is true in the spiritual realm. You can't grow up in your faith until you're born into the faith. There's no one who is mature in their faith. There's no one who is mature in the family of God who is not firstborn in the family of God. Think about John chapter 3. You know this text probably. John chapter 3 tells us the story of Jesus and Nicodemus. Jesus has Nicodemus, this religious leader, who comes to him at night. This is a religious leader. He knows the word of God. He knows the Old Testament. He knows the religious rituals. He knows all these things. He was a very religious man. He was an expert in Old Testament scripture. And yet, you know what Jesus said to him? Jesus said to this religious expert, you must be what? born again it starts with birth it starts with us coming into the family of god now paul's purpose in writing the book of colossians i told you this just a minute ago was to present everyone mature in christ you cannot be presented mature in christ you can never be mature in christ until you're born into his family colossians 2 6 the beginning of our text today is the pivot point. It's the turning place in this epistle, in this, in this letter. It's the place where Paul turns the corner. He has started this letter, Colossians chapter 1, verse 1. He starts this letter by saying, here's the relationship that I, Paul, have with you, the people of Colossae. And then he says, Colossians 1, 15 through 23, he says, this is who Jesus is. I don't want there to be any confusion. This is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has done. Colossians chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, and I have suffered for the church. I've suffered for the cause of Christ. So Paul writes about his suffering, how he's toiled, how he struggled for this ministry with all the energy and power that comes from the Lord. So Paul says, I prayed for you. Paul says, Jesus, who is God, the preeminent one, gave his life to reconcile you. Paul said, I'm giving my life right now to help you know him. Therefore, now you're ready for verse six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Friend, the promise of scripture is that we can be different. We can grow up. We don't have to stay like we have been. Jesus makes us new. And when we come to Jesus and we surrender our life to him, when we invite Jesus to come into our life, we're given new life. We are a new creation. Sad truth is that too many times, those who profess to be born again still walk as if nothing has changed. That's not what Scripture calls us to. Scripture says, now that you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. There is a call here. First thing I want us to notice in this text is that there is a calling. There is a calling in this text. The text is appealing to us. The Word of God is saying to us, there is something we are to do. We are to walk in Him. So have you received Christ Jesus the Lord? If you have, then the next question is, are you walking in Him? How is your walk with Jesus going? Some of you here may remember the song by Frank Sinatra, I Did It My Way. Others may be more familiar with the Bon Jovi song. The Bon Jovi song says, It's My Life. Here's how it goes. It's my life. My heart is, my, my heart is like an open highway. Like Frankie said, I did it my way. I just want to live while I'm alive because it's my life. Have you heard that song? Whether we've heard that song or not, we felt that inclination. We're prone to say, this is my life. I can do what I want to do. We're inclined to say, this is my life. I only get to live this once. I can live it however I want. But that's not what scripture calls us to if we're followers of Jesus. Therefore, if you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. There's a way that we're supposed to live. So if I'm supposed to walk in him, Glenn, then how do I do that? What do I do? Well, I don't know. Let's see what the Bible says. What does it say? Very next verse. What does it say? It says, rooted and built up in him. Paul here, first of all, is using this agricultural imagery. It's common in the Bible, and he's saying we need to be rooted in Christ. What do roots do? Roots provide stability. As the storm blew through last night, all the trees in your yard, all the trees here around this building would have fallen over, except they have roots. Roots provide stability, and roots provide nourishment. That's what our roots do. So if we receive Jesus and we're going to walk in Jesus and we need to be rooted in him because being rooted in him gives us our stability to stand in the storms of life and the nourishment to help us become who he wants us to be. So Psalms 1, blessed is a man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly or stands in the way of sinners or sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. In his law does he meditate day and night and he'll be like a tree, what? planted by rivers of water brings forth its fruit in its season what's what's the psalmist saying he's saying this tree being planted by the rudder by the rivers of water it gets strength and nourishment there if we're going to walk in jesus how do we do it we do it by growing our root deep into the things of god deep in the things of god then paul changes illustrations And he doesn't talk about being rooted, but he talks about being built up. He uses this idea of being built up. It's the imagery that Jesus used at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. And he says, the foundation you build your house on will determine whether it survives the storms of life or not. And if we hear and obey the teachings of Jesus, then when the storms of life come, we're able to survive. If we hear and don't obey the teachings of Jesus, when the storms of life come, what happens? This is not a hard question. What happens? It gets washed away. It falls down. Now, we can imagine that image in our minds But we also, if we think about it just a little bit, we can see it all around us. We've seen so many people whose lives, if they're not founded on the things of God, when the storms of life come, they don't know where to turn. They don't know what to do. And we think of others who've walked with Jesus through hard times, and yet their life stands because they've heard and obeyed the things of God. Do you want to be built up in Jesus? Then we must be rooted in, And built up in him. What does that look like? It looks like us engaging in the things of God. Paul's purpose in writing this letter is to present everyone mature in Christ. He was not content with immature believers, he's not content with immature faith. He's looking for them to be, verse 7, established in the faith. Then look at verse 8. Verse 8, he says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. So here Paul is saying not only is there a calling to live in Christ, to walk in him, but there is a warning to be aware of. And this warning is against being taken captive by the world's perspective of reality. The world has a perspective of reality that woos us, that calls to us, that appeals to us. And every day, both our fallen heart and the world we live in and the evil one tries to call us to believe that that reality is true reality. Paul here warns us against that. He's warning the Colossians and saying, you started this walk with Jesus. Don't get fooled by the deceptive philosophies of this world. Now, Paul is not against philosophy. The word philosophy, phileo, what does that mean? Love. Phileo is love. Sophia is wisdom. Paul is not against loving wisdom. He's warning us against starting our walk with Jesus only to abandon it because we embrace the deceptive philosophy of this world. This deceptive philosophy that calls us to be afraid of all these different things. So he says, see that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human traditions, according to the elemental spirits of the world and not according to Christ. In the ancient Roman world, there were all these powers known as gods, and the people were afraid of those gods. There were the gods of war and the gods of the ocean and the gods of love and the gods of the rains and on and on and on, and people were afraid of these gods. And so we read about that, and we get a little smile on our face because we're too sophisticated for that. We're not afraid of the god of the rains, right? We're not afraid of the God of Wars or the God of the Ocean. We're we don't live with those kinds of fears. Instead, we live with our own fears, don't we? Don't lie to me. We do. We do. In 2017, the Miami Herald reported on a survey done by a company called or an uh, international corporation called. UNISYS UNISYS is this international corporation that deals with the security issues of businesses as well as governments around the world. They conduct a survey called the UNISYS Security Index. The UNISYS Security Index surveys 13,000 people in 13 countries and is considered one of the only recurring global snapshots of citizens' perceptions. So what is this survey showing? In 2017, it showed that the levels of anxiety in the United States had jumped sharply since 2014. One expert said it's an understatement to say that anxiety level is high and we live in uncertain times. We we definitely have seen a huge spike over the last three years. It appears that our cloak of security, the impression that, we, that we're more secure than the rest of the world, that impression is starting to fade. That was 2017. The 2019, the 2019 UNICEF survey showed the highest concern since the study had started in 2007. So what are we anxious over? Will you read it in the paper or online? We're anxious over national security issues like war and terrorism. We're anxious over personal security issues like identity theft and credit card fraud. We may not fear the gods of the ancient Romans, but we have our own fears. And we're afraid of what's going to happen if North Korea really does develop nuclear weapon capacity. We're afraid of the tension that's going on between us and Russia and us and China. We fear the instability that's taking place in the Middle East. We fear the loss of religious freedom in our own nation. We fear mass shootings like happened recently in El Paso and Dayton, Ohio. N.T. Wright calls these the powers. The powers that no one seems to be able to control. They're in our world. And you think... With all the development of our technology, with all our military not, might, with all our intellectual savvy, we would be able to overcome some of this, but we're not. I mean, does anybody else think this? I I wonder why, with all the smart people in Washington, we can't balance our budget. Right? I mean, you live with a balanced budget at your house, or you'd be in trouble. You. You live with a balanced budget in your church or your church would go under. We live with a balanced budget in our business or our business would go under, but, but we can't seem to do it at work. Why, tell me, why can't we solve the problem of violence in our cities? Why can't we find a way to deal with addictions in our population? It seems that there are powers at work that are beyond our capacity to control. And as Christians... As Christians, as followers of Jesus, should we be concerned about these things? Yes, of course we should. But we must not be taken captive by these powers at work in the world as if they're in control. The sovereign power is Jesus. It's not all the rest of this stuff. So don't, listen to me, don't live with fear. Don't live with fear. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be afraid of what's going to happen in the Middle East. We don't have to live with with anxiety because we're not sure of what we're afraid of. That's a deceptive philosophy that is empty. That's the way of those who live apart from Christ. That is not the life that we are called to. As the text says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Can we trust him in the face of all these challenges and threats that we live in, in this world? Can we trust him? Yes, we can. More than we can trust anything, more than we can trust ourselves, we can trust Jesus. We can trust him to work in our lives and our hearts to help us to be less anxious and less angry and less selfish. And we can trust him to help us become more like Jesus, more mature in him. Now, why do I say that? Why do I say we can trust Jesus? Well, I don't know. What does the text say? Well, look at it. Look at what it says in verse 9. For in him, who's it talking about? In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. I think we can trust him. The whole fullness of God dwells in him. And there's more. Read the next verse. And you, if you're a follower of Jesus, have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In him, you also, also you were circumcised with circumcision made without hands, putting off the body of flesh, but by the circumcision of Christ. We've been filled in him. I read a story about a man who went shopping, he was looking for something to drink, and he found a bottle of something to drink called blueberry pomegranate. It said 100% juice, all natural. On the bottle there, were, uh, there was a picture of ripe pomegranate spilling its exotic glistening seeds onto mounds of perfectly plump blueberries. And then he read the ingredients in the bottle filtered water, pear juice concentrate, apple juice concentrate, grape juice concentrate. So you wonder, where's the blueberry? Where's the pomegranate? They were ingredients number five and seven out of nine. You know how the ingredients list works, right? Whatever has the most in the bottle has to be listed first. So they left the store without the blueberry pomegranate juice. He left the story with this question. He said, what if I had an ingredients list printed on me? Would Jesus be the main ingredient? If not, how far down the list would he be? Would my label accurately represent my contents? Or would I falsely project the misleading outward appearance that cleverly masks my diluted ingredients? What if someone came to me looking for Jesus beneath my Christian label and found something else? Then he asked the question, am I Jesus flavored or Jesus filled? Verse 10, you have been filled in him. So there's a calling. What's the calling? Walk in him. There's a warning. What's the warning? Don't be taken captive by human ways of thought that don't consider, don't take into consideration the rule and authority of Jesus. And then verse 13, last point. There's a reality. There's a reality. And that reality is, look at verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses, by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Paul concludes this passage by reminding the Colossians of who they are. They are who they are because of what Jesus had done for them. They were dead. And this death was a result of their own trespass. They had stepped across the boundary line. They were dead because they willfully rebelled against God. It's true for us too. Here's the line. God says, Glenn, don't step across the line. And what does Glenn do? Look God in the eye and I go, can if I want to. And I did. The truth is, so did you. All of us have. We have trespassed against the holy God. We have done it. That's what Paul says here. And you who were dead in your trespasses, we were dead because we willfully rebelled against God. We are guilty. There is a legal debt that is owed. So what did God do about that? The text says, the Bible says, this, he set aside. How did he set it aside? By nailing it to the cross. What is that a reference to? It's a reference to the death of Jesus for our sin. When he who was without sin became sin for us so that we might be right with God the Father through him. That's what it's a reference to. This is who we are as followers of Christ. Friends, the rulers and authorities of this world operate as if they're in charge. They are not. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Remember the words? Can I preach this? It's not Christmas. Remember the words? You remember what the angel said to the shepherds? Fear not. I bring you good news of great joy which shall be to all people. For unto you is born a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We don't have to be afraid. Because we serve a risen Jesus. What has Jesus done with these rulers and authorities who act like they're in charge? Look at verse 15. He disarmed the rulers and authorities. And he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Don't be confused. Don't be confused. This is a a fundamental truth to a proper understanding of how things really work. Remember the world and your own fallen heart and the devil are continually going to try to draw you away from what is really true. We're just prone that way. And we get confused and we think, you know, I'm losing. I don't have any hope. This world is out of control. It's not out of control. It's in God's control. It always has been, always will be. And we can trust in that. When Jesus died on the cross, he was not defeated. He conquered his enemies. He triumphed over sin and death. He triumphed over demonic forces. The world today is not out of control. You know Psalms 2? We don't have time to look at Psalms 2, but if you want to look look at a a passage, look at Psalms 2. You know what it says? It says the world leaders think they're in charge and they're doing something and God's sitting on his throne in heaven chuckling. That's what you think I'm not telling you the truth, write it down. Check it this afternoon. God's sitting on his throne in heaven chuckling because God hasn't lost control. He's still in control. Friends, the Bible is true. And what the Bible tells us is that Jesus stands ready to forgive all who will come to him. What the Bible tells us is that if we will come to him as our Savior and Lord, then he calls us to walk in him. The Bible tells us that we are all drawn toward forsaking our trust in him and becoming captive to the empty philosophy of the world. And we must remember what is really real, what is really true, what is true north. What's really true is we are all dead in our trespasses apart from Jesus. But Jesus went to the cross, and there on the cross he won the victory so that we can be made alive in Christ. And we're not under the control of the powers of this world. But the power belongs to Jesus, who is the head of all rule and authority. He is Lord over all the earth. He is Lord. He is Lord supreme over all the earth. Is he supreme over your life? Is he Lord of your life? Have you given your life to him? Friends, you can't be mature in Christ until you're born into Christ. But when we're born in the kingdom, then we must continually turn our hearts to him. I started this message by asking the question, can we really change? Or is who we've always been who we always have to be? Friend, who you've always been is who you always have to be unless you meet jesus but when you meet jesus everything can be new. let me pray for us lord we thank you for jesus we thank you that in him we have life and hope for eternity father even this morning as we continue to worship through song help us to sing with joyful hearts celebrating all that you have done and all that you are for us help us to love you more And to live lives that reflect that love to others. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.